I didn't have a good understanding of missions when I first joined the church. I assumed that missions meant we're going to be going overseas and helping native peoples in, in another country. Um, and really, missions is, is, is much broader than that. It's missions here locally in Lakeland and Polk County and it's missions in Florida and missions in the United States and then missions internationally. I've never been on a mission, international mission. All of my service has been here in Lakeland and um, it's nice because you know you're helping your neighbors and um, getting to know other people in your own community. It's definitely a worthwhile any of the activities are worthwhile, whether it's doing the Toby's Waterworks, whether it's helping with Noah's, uh, Noah's Ark, whether it's, whether it's um, doing the Engage Lakeland, whether it's helping at Philip O'Brien. There's all sorts of ways to serve locally and fit it into your life. So I think a lot of people believe that missions and serving others um, like she said, is, is going overseas and doing construction work, hard, intensive labor, and a lot of people think, well, I can't do that. And while missions can be those things, it can be construction, I think a lot of it is relationship building. And that's probably one of the most important things about serving others that we do is building relationships with them. Serving has helped me not be so quick to judge and, and just to try to do what I can to make that person's day better at that moment. I do think it's our, our calling as Christians to serve others. That's what Jesus did when he was here, and that's what he asked us to do when he left. And I think that we all need to do what we are called to do. So it's hard to say, should everyone do it? Because I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain that. I don't, I don't want to tell people you have to serve, you know, but I do think it's an important part of what we do as Christians for other people is to serve them. So we've heard from two lay people in our congregation about the experience they've had in mission and how it's impact it had on their life. Our text this morning is about, is about love. And um, I've asked Ann Skellinger to read the, the passage for us. I'm reading from 1 John 4, 7 through 12, and verse 19 from the message. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love, so you can't know him if you don't love. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about, not the once upon a time kind of love we are once upon a time love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage that we've done to our relationship with God. My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. 
No one has seen God ever, but if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us, and his love becomes complete in us. Perfect love. We, though, are going to love. Love and be loved. First we were loved, now we are loved. He loved first. Amen. Amen. First John 4, 7 through 12, 19. Uh, the first time I heard this song, I learned it as a camp song, going to church camp. I don't remember exactly the tune. This is not a great example, Jeremy. Uh, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everything, everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. They that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. So, beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. <laughs> Yay! Okay. Okay. Isn't it something that... Uh, when we learn about God and music that remains with us, it just stays with us. I have no idea how old I was when I learned that. I, I might have learned it at Leesburg. I might have learned it when I was younger. <clears throat> music is central to worship no matter what style. And the eloquent words of Charles Wesley that spoke of the changed heart, the love of God, and the mercy of Christ, they were set to the music of the songs of the day. And can you guess what the songs of the day and Charles and John Wesley's time was? They wanted to reach people for Jesus. They used the drinking song tunes. They put the, these eloquent words to the, to the tunes that the people knew, a way to connect with them and make it real for them that they were loved by God. The focus of the text that Anne read for us is the love of God that came in Jesus. Jesus showed us what the love of God in his, is in his life, in his teaching and his sacrifice on the cross. That sacrifice on the cross, the text tells us, clears away our sins and the damage sin has done to our relationship with God. So it made me think of our prayer of confession that we use on communion Sundays. I, I, I forgot to ask for this. I, I, Jeremy asked me and I, I said no, but I should have said yes. Um, but here's a prayer confession that we sing, we use on communion Sundays. We confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Christ our Lord. And then the good news. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, and that proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. Amen. What a blessing to know that when we sin, we can be forgiven and a chance to start all over again. This is the heart of the gospel, this good news that the church of the first century was proclaiming to the people all across the known world. The text continues, my dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. If we love each other, God dwells deep within us. If we love each other, then God dwells deep within us. And this is good news for us. Well, I'm going to take us on a, on a ride through history 
Can you come along with me on the ride? Can you listen? Can you focus and not say, oh, that's a long time ago? Can you, can you go along with the ride as we go back to the 1700s? Fast forward from the first century when the Christian church is being formed that we read about in the text to the 1700s in England. Susanna and Samuel Wesley had 19 children and 10 lived to adulthood. That gives you a picture of that world. Their sons, John and Charles, both became ordained priests of the Church of England, just like their father. And their lives spanned most of the 1700s. I find that fascinating because it's the whole scope of of a century in the life of these two men. Both John and Charles studied Oxford. It was while Charles was in college and John was a fellow, kind of like an assistant professor, that they began meeting with some friends to study the Bible, to pray, to talk about their devotional life, to talk about God and God's relationship with them and how, how their relationship with God was acting, uh, how it was lived out in their lives. They called themselves the Holy Club. But others made front of the group that they were so disciplined, they called them, guess what? Methodists. Methodists. And the name remained. As part of their discipline, they would also do what they called acts of mercy. They had done acts of piety, this connection with God. And these are these acts of mercy, reaching out to others. They visited the prisoners, fed the poor, and visited the sick in Oxford every week. These disciplines became lifelong practices for the Wesley brothers. John had a passion to reform the Church of England, which had neglected a fervor for Christ and care for the needs of the people. It had become a place for the upper classes only. And as Andy said this morning in a sermon after after John's and both of them had heartwarming experiences, this became even more apparent. Well, and John was barred from preaching in many churches because of his enthusiastic evangelistic approach. In 1739, when he was 36, he went to see his friend George Whitfield preach in Bristol, in the town of Bristol, out in the open air, what they called it field preaching. It was abhorrent to, to John. He couldn't imagine preaching in the field, but when he got there, you got to Bristol in that coal mining town. Wesley was shocked to see the miners and their families come by the hundreds and thousands, hundreds and thousands to hear Whitfield, clearly hungry for the good news of the gospel. And shortly after that, John became convinced, and John preached to 3,000 souls as well. 3,000 souls. When John and later his brother Charles saw the people of Bristol, what was happening there, it struck them to the heart. Not What struck them was that the people had needs of the soul that the preaching touched, but they had so many physical needs, I mean, educational needs, social needs. And so because they became convicted to do something about this, and with, within months, they had built a multi-purpose building they called the New Room, which was a place for gathering and worship, but also for education, providing food and medical care to the people there. In a nearby town, they established the Kingswood School for Boys. 
Just remember this is a time of child labor. People don't have the privilege of, of going to have a chance to go to school. John and his brother had that opportunity to go away to boarding school after their mother had taught them at home. And then they went to the prestigious Oxford University. They wanted people to have that opportunity for an education and a chance for a better life. John's genius was in his organization. Those who gathered to hear the preaching or came to the new room were were put into small groups called classes where they would come together with others every week and answer questions about the impact of their faith in Christ on their lives, what difference it made. And they would also do service for others as a group. As time went on and the movement grew, these, these classes, these bands grew in all over England and they came together as groups called societies. As time went on, the movement grew. The lay pastors would travel to these Methodist societies and preach. Amazing. It just continued to grow. And over time, the Methodist movement grew all across England and over to the colonies. Remember the colonies. You know, that's us. John Wesley uh, rode over 200,000 miles on horseback to preach in different places across his lifetime. He preached 40,000 sermons, wrote books, and even wrote a book on medical care. He encouraged the Methodists to attend to their money as well because he was concerned that people were taking care of their needs. Earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Can you say that? Earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. See, that's part of the mission. Give. He met people where they were and their needs. Charles wrote upwards of 6,000 hymns that were instrumental in teaching the faith. They never wanted to start a new denomination, but they wanted to be a revival movement in the Church of England. And John remained an Anglican priest all of his life, dying in 1791 at the age of 87. The Methodist movement had grown and grown and grown over those years. So towards the end of his life in 1787, the Methodist church in Britain was established. And then after the American Revolution, there was a split. Remember, who do we have have a war with? England. Could the Church of England work well in the colonies then, the new country? Would make sense, right? So after the American Revolution, the Methodist Episcopal Church was formed in 1784 in this new United States of America. And the Methodist movement taught the personal connection with God and Jesus. And the acts of mercy were integral to faith. It wasn't, it wasn't one thing and just me and, me and Jesus have this wonderful thing going together. You know, can you go to worship and come home and isn't it great? It's lovely. I feel wonderful. Isn't it great? Well, that's important. These acts of piety, Bible study, uh, prayer, worship, the sacraments. We're going to receive the sacraments this morning. How important that is to renew our spirits. But then as we our spirits are renewed, we're able to reach out and touch other people and share that love of God. It's not one or the other. It's both. Personal holiness and social holiness. In our country, there are hundreds of Methodist colleges, hospitals, and children's homes that have started because of this care for 
the needs of others. And those children's homes obviously started as, what do you think? What were they? Would have been, children's homes would have been first orphanages, caring for the children in need. Methodist missionaries have done the same all over the world, bringing hope and care across these centuries. Amazing to see the love of Christ planted in so many places, making a difference. And now our United Methodist Church carries on that legacy of serving and mission started so long ago. It's amazing. We're talking about, sometimes they were talking about missionaries going far away to serve. My friend Marilyn went far away. Where'd you go, Marilyn? Bulgaria. Marilyn was sent to Bulgaria, and she made a difference in the life of the people there, and they transformed your life, right? And to caring for the people of Haiti. Um, the Wesleyan way is about loving God and loving neighbor with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is our calling. We love because God first loved us. So, okay, so we got this great span of history. What difference does it make? I think it makes a big difference because what we have to share is unique. It's special. It's very important. What about you and me? How does the story of history impact us? I'm grateful that the love of Christ is made real in so many ways here in here at First Church. And I was thinking of some of those ways. I was talking to my son about this. I said, Mom, just tell them some of the things at church, First Church. Remind them about what you know about to do that. And he says, don't go back, back way back in your story. Just talk about what's now. And so I said, oh, yeah, I, I ride the bus with Neighborhood Ministries. You know, we have to have a second ride. I have a rider on the bus that goes to the elementary schools and the middle schools to pick up the children to come the young people to come to the church um, every school day. There's a hundred young people that are in our neighborhood ministries program at the after school program, uh, learning about God and learning and getting getting support during that time of day. Um, and I saw it in the faces of all the older members that I would, uh, the church members that I would visit, and and to let them know that they were still loved and and the church remembered them, that they were important. And I I would give them communion. Uh, they couldn't come to worship. They couldn't come to worship and come forward for communion. So I was able to do that for them. Uh, that was part of my work as a visitation minister. What a blessing. And I saw the love of Christ and as we supported the, ch- the children of Philip O'Brien this week, the teachers of Philip O'Brien would be in the school year, and didn't we have fun? We had a great time. Brought breakfast for the teachers and the staff to encourage them. They said most of their, many of their teachers are brand new and teachers just to encourage them as they, they start the school year. And aren't you glad to bring food to help uh, the migrant families and help the older folks with VISTI? Today is the time, the day to bring the food, every monthly food collection to make a difference. And I'm amazed at the clothes closet that we have. You know the little, little house directly across the street here? may not know the house that has a carport on it. That's just filled with people working uh, for the, filling bags of clothes for the school children of Pope County. Over 2,000 students are assisted by the clothes closet every year. Isn't that amazing? Right here from our church. And I'm grateful that we support disaster response close to home and abroad through the United Methodist Committee on Relief. Um, 
Marilyn did that work for a time, and, and Trish Warren in our church is in charge of, of disaster response for the whole conference to make a difference. United Methodist Committee on Relief, we contribute to that to make a difference in places of brokenness. I'm so proud to be part of that United Methodist Church that continues to change hearts and lives and that will continue to do, do so into the future. Aren't you proud? Does it make you proud? We need to be proud to say thank you, God, for the blessings that we have and that we can share with others through the ministry of the church. And as you come to the table this morning, may this good news of Jesus' love, this love for you, dwell in your heart that you may be challenged to find where God is calling you to serve. Are you challenged? Thinking about it? Where is God calling you to serve? And and, uh, continue in the service if you've been serving that way, but finding a way to reach out and to share God's love. It's what we're called to do. thought I'd close with a Wesley hymn, different singing, that talks about love. Tis love, tis love, thou diedst for me. I hear thy whisper in my heart. The morning breaks, the shadows flee. Pure universal love thou art. To me, to all thy mercies move. Thy nature and thy name. Is love to me, to all thy mercies move. Thy nature and thy name is love. Loving God, call us to serve. You called us to serve, and we give thanks. Put on our hearts where you want us to be, to serve you with all our hearts. And we give thanks. Amen. I want to say thank you to the band. Amen. I want to thank you for the people in the booth. Whoa, making a difference. Yay, say thank you. Made sure my mic was on. Uh, we're so grateful for this opportunity to worship. Now may the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit Rest and abide among you, everyone, everyone.